Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Pope Francis calls for a ceasefire in Israel and Gaza. Pope Francis said that a two-state solution is needed for Israel and Palestine in order to put an end to the ongoing war. As the fighting in Israel and Gaza drags into its second month, Pope Francis has increased his appeals for peace, making phone calls to several important world leaders. Pope Francis announced he will travel for the second time to the United Arab Emirates, although this time it will not be for a pastoral visit or a religious event, but for a climate conference. Pope Francis is attending the COP28 climate conference in Dubai next month. This is the first time a pontiff will attend the UN meeting since it began in 1995. And after issuing Laudato Si 2.0 last month, it appears Pope Francis is now hoping to have the same influence at COP28 as he did at the 2015 Paris Climate Accords. We'll analyze the Pope's visit to Dubai in light of his new climate document, Laudate Deum. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans once again, Jerry. Good afternoon from rainy Rome, Colleen. The Senate has finished, the temperatures have dropped, and we've got rain. And because of a combination of travel and other stuff, we actually haven't been on air together since the Synod. So it's, it's good to be back with you, although I regret that we're having to do it from afar once again. Yes, and I met Sam this morning, Sam Sawyer. Our editor-in-chief. And he's returning to New York tomorrow. All right, Jerry, so let's get into the news this week. Obviously, the biggest story on the world stage right now is the war between Israel and Hamas. Now, Pope Francis has urged a ceasefire, he's urged the release of hostages, and he's urged humanitarian aid in both his public addresses and his conversations with key world leaders. So we're going to get into analyzing some of this. First off, on Sunday, Pope Francis said at the Angelus Prayer, stop in the name of God, renewing his call for a ceasefire and for Hamas to return its hostages, especially the children. Now, in the last few weeks, the Pope has also spoken with President Biden, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, President Ibrahim Raisi of Iran, and President Erdogan of Turkey, in all these cases pushing for humanitarian aid to Gaza and a ceasefire. So I want to ask you, Jerry, what is Francis's end goal here? Obviously, it's to stop the fighting, but what does the Vatican see as the solution to this Israeli-Palestinian conflict that long predates the fighting that's going on right now? Yes, Francis's immediate goal is the stop to the killing. You have today more than 10,000 people killed in 32 days of war. That's more than have been killed in Ukraine in two years of war. So it's really uh, just a scenario that nobody had imagined on the 7th of October. 
and the Pope believes that there is only one solution is a ceasefire, the release of the hostages, the provision of medical aid to the almost 30,000 now wounded in Gaza, and food, water, and other assistance to the more than 2.3 million people in Gaza who have been without it since the start of the war. And Jerry, obviously, this has then resurfaced debates about what the ultimate status of Palestine and Israel should be. Is it a two-state solution? Is it some other plan? The Vatican has historically supported a two-state solution with a special status for Jerusalem, I understand. Can you explain what that means? Yes, the Vatican has supported a two-state solution, but now many people, really experts in the field, are saying, is this viable? Because uh, the increasingly the Palestinians are losing the land, the properties to settlers, and this government especially, but also previous governments, have allowed the settlers to gradually take more and more of Palestinian land. And so at the end of the day, is a two-state solution viable? So as far as we know, the Vatican is not changing its stance on the two-state solution. Can you explain what this special status for Jerusalem means? Yes, you have to put it in context that for Israel, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, one only eternal capital of Israel. For the Palestinians, they want East Jerusalem as their capital. For the Vatican, the Vatican has always, from the beginning, called for an international status for Jerusalem for all three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Since you have sites in Jerusalem which are sacred to all the three religions, the Vatican wants this to be recognized that the followers of all three religions can go and worship in Jerusalem, can have access to the sacred sites of their respective religions, and that they are guaranteed protection. Right now, if you are a Christian young man living in Bethlehem, you have a major problem to get to Jerusalem for any of the Christian feasts, Easter or Christmas. Also, as we've seen in recent times, it's been very difficult for the Muslims to go to the Alaska Mosque to pray on a Friday. So while in theory there is religious freedom, it's becoming increasingly difficult. The Christians are finding difficulty. The Christian pilgrims are not going there now because of the war. The Muslims are finding difficulty to go into the holy city. And the Jews, of course, they are there. Even the Jews are not going to these places. They are deserted right now. Well, it's a bit of a ghost town right now because people are afraid to go out. Jerry, we know that religious freedom, the kind of religious freedom that would allow for different groups to access the holy sites in Jerusalem is one of the key tenets of Vatican diplomacy. That and peace are two of the main things that they are always pushing for. And unlike the United States, the Vatican actually has diplomatic relations with both Israel and Palestine. They established diplomatic relations with Palestine as of 2015, so under Pope Francis, which I only learned recently and thought was really interesting. Now, I want to go back to Pope Francis. We know that on a more personal level, 
it's clear that Francis is very moved, stirred emotionally by the people's suffering in Israel and in Palestine. We hear regularly about phone calls that he's made to people in the conflict zone. And we know especially that he's thinking about the children a lot. You know, more than half of the population of Gaza is children. We've, we've seen a lot of children casualties. And the Pope actually gave a talk to a group of children yesterday on Monday, November 6th, where he spent a lot of the time talking to these kids about the children suffering from wars. I wonder if you have more to say on that, on Francis's personal connection to this. Well, Francis is aware, as the United Nations has said in recent days, that one child is killed every 10 minutes in Gaza as a result of Israeli bombing. That's a really a situation that is incredible in, in, in the 21st century, especially when the emphasis is on respect for human rights, respect for life is a fundamental feature of the Jewish religion. But here we see children being the biggest victims of this war for which none of them is responsible. None of them can be considered a backer of Hamas. They're all under 18. And many of them are very young. And so the Pope is deeply disturbed that anybody could bomb city indiscriminately. I mean, two days ago, Israel, in 24 hours, bombed the biggest refugee camp in Gaza, Jabila. It has 100,000 people really squashed into a small area. Many of them, 47.3% of the population of Gaza, are under the age of 18. And I think that the fact that one child killed two children injured every 10 minutes should be a call to the conscience of any nation, least of all a nation which presents itself to be democratic. Well, and Jerry, on the other side, we've also seen Pope Francis calling specifically for the release of the children who Hamas has taken hostage. So, you know, we want to make clear that Francis is concerned about the children on both sides of this. Yes, Hamas has taken uh, around, uh, the number seems to change, but Israel says 240, 242 hostages from around 30 countries. And among them are a number of children. We haven't had a specific figure for the number of children. There are also some quite old people, and there are many women. And the Pope has called right from the beginning for the total release of the hostages. He has called for a ceasefire, and the Hamas itself has said it, a ceasefire is necessary to release the hostages. Now, in recent times, they are saying that more than 60 hostages have been killed as a result of the Israeli bombing. We have no way of verifying this, but the situation is dramatic. Jerry, going back to the Vatican here, what more do we know about the Vatican's peace efforts? We know that the Pope has had these world leaders on the phone, but I assume that the Secretariat of State, the Vatican's diplomatic office, has also been working. So what do we know about what they've been doing? Yes, the Pope has spoken to four leaders. He has spoken to, as you mentioned earlier, first of all, to President Biden, mm -hmm. asking for a ceasefire. Yes. And asking for humanitarian aid to be allowed in to a population, 2.3 million, who have been under siege for 15, 16 years, but who are now prevented from having 
food, water, medical supplies. And it was not clear whether he's asking for an increase in humanitarian aid. And the readouts that we were given from both the Secretary of State and from the White House, it was clear that they had talked about the necessity of humanitarian aid, humanitarian corridors, pauses in the fighting, but it was not clear if they're satisfied with these few trucks that have been allowed in. Monsignor Gallagher spoke with his Iranian counterpart. Iran is a big actor in this thing. It is supporting the Palestinians. It is supporting Hezbollah. It is supporting others in the region. Right. To make clear who we're talking about here, we're talking about Archbishop Paul Gallagher, who is the Vatican's secretary for bilateral relations, basically his foreign minister. And he spoke with the foreign minister of Iran. Yes, at the request of the Iranians. The Pope, I think two days, one or two days later, received a phone call from the president of Iran. And the president of Iran praised the Pope, it's in the printout from the Iranian presidency, for calling for a ceasefire and urged him to try and exercise his influence on Western leaders to follow suit. But this hasn't happened so far. We haven't had one European country yet or the United States asking for a ceasefire. And of course, we know that you know the Pope is not just working on a political level, he's working on a spiritual level to try to get some peace in the region. And so he has invited Catholics to two days of prayer and fasting for peace already. And of course, our prayers for peace continue. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Pope's visit to Dubai for the COP28 climate conference. Stay with us. So continuing with the theme of Pope Francis trying to use his influence on global leaders, the Pope has announced and the Vatican confirmed that he will travel to Dubai for COP28, that's the United Nations Conference of Parties that aims to address climate change. This will be in early December, and it comes just after the Pope released Laudate Deum at the beginning of October. That was a document that was sort of a follow-up to Laudato Si, which was the Pope's landmark encyclical on the environment, and it actually devotes a large section to the COP28 assembly. So Jerry, let's dig into Laudate Deum. I've got it right here. Uh, For clues, what are the Pope's goals for this trip? What does he want to see come out of COP28? Well, I think it's interesting to read the last lines of that Laudate Deum. Mm -hmm. The Pope says, praise God is the title of this letter. And I recommend everybody read this letter. It's, It's quite short. He said, for when human beings claim to take God's place, they become their own worst enemies. Right. A very somber note where these letters usually end on a note of hope and usually a prayer to Mary. Yes, it's it's very somber because Francis is the first pope ever to attend one of these meetings on climate change organized by the UN, which more than 190 countries are attending. And there's a common awareness, consciousness around the world that something has to be done to correct what is producing terrible disaster through climate change. But there is not the political will. The ambition is common. They agree on the ideas, but they don't produce elements for the enforcement of the things they have agreed on, as happened, for example, in Paris 2015. You remember the Pope 
wrote the encyclical Laudate Si, praise be, on the care of our common home before that meeting. Right, and it had a big influence on that meeting. It had a big influence. And in fact, uh, several governments changed positions because of the Pope's determination. And now, in between, the, it's been a bit of a disappointment. They've had the goals, but they haven't had enforcing mechanisms to ensure that the decisions taken are actually implemented. Right, Jerry. I mean, they're not just goals. They they were commitments that these nations made. Commitments, absolutely. That they have not followed up on. And so Pope Francis in Laudate Deum spends a whole section, the section before the COP28 section, talking about the successes and failures of past climate conferences and mostly the failures. He really kind of excoriates them for for not following up. I will say it's not all doom and gloom. He does talk about the success that came from the concern that was raised around the hole in the ozone layer, which is one of the most successful environmental movements of our time. We, we were basically able to reverse that. But he really sees COP28 as a make or break moment for these commitments. He said COP 27 at Charm and Kreshek in Egypt it was a disappointment because the Ukraine war had broken out. And so you didn't have agreement among the states. And I, I don't know what he will say now when he gets to Dubai, because now you've got an even bigger war. But why is the Pope going there? I, I think that's a question people will ask. And that is because the leader of the United Arab Emirates, who are holding the presidency of this conference. They're Muslim. They're very close to the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, who's one of the most influential people in the Muslim world, the sunny Muslim world. And who has worked closely with Pope Francis over the last several years. And who's met Pope Francis nine times already. This will be his 10th time. They did the human fraternity document together, which was a really big step. In Abu Dhabi. The other part. So this is his second visit to the United Arab Emirates. And where are they going? The Grand Imam is a very influential figure for 85% of the Muslim world, which is Sunni. Very influential figure. And the Pope represents the 1.4 billion Catholics in the world. So a very influential figure. And so they say religious leaders are very important actors in raising the consciousness of people and getting people to act in their own countries to get the politicians to take decisions. The Pope says, yes, a lot of individuals, even families, can do something. And he's always supported, for example, the young people in Fridays for Future. He supported the grassroots movements. He believes the grassroots movement have a very important role to play in changing the world. But he says, at the final analysis, he states very clearly in this document, Laudate Deum, praise God, he states very clearly. But at the final analysis, it is the politicians who take the decisions that can really change. But he is going as a spiritual leader, along with the Grand Imam, to throw the weight of religion behind what is seen as the greatest threat to humanity in the coming years. Right. And actually, as we're recording this, there's a two-day interfaith meeting going on in Abu Dhabi with leaders from 30 different world religions. And Cardinal Pietro Perelin, the Vatican Secretary of State, and Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew are both there. And my understanding is that they're writing a declaration there on the commitments of different religions to address climate change. And when the Pope gets to Dubai, he will sign this document 
this declaration and it will be given to the summit meeting in Dubai on the 2nd or the 3rd of December. The Pope will go from 1 to 3 December. If our listeners want to learn more about that, they can read your interview with Judge Mohammed Abdel Salam, who was really the architect of the human fraternity document from Abu Dhabi, and he's been heavily involved in planning this visit of the Pope to Dubai as well. So we've talked about the fact that Pope Francis and the Grand Imam are really trying to push faith leaders, mobilize them ahead of COP28, but I want to go back to Laudate Deum and talk about the goals that the Pope lays out for that meeting in this document. So he talks specifically about a faster transition to clean energy sources like wind and solar, and he talks about abandoning fossil fuels. What else do we know about his concrete goals going into this? Colleen, at this COP28 in Dubai, there's a, a stock taking. That's really where they're taking an inventory and saying, oh, where have we come? What have we got? As a result of all these meetings since 1992, 93, 94, the early 1990s. And so it's a, it's a good point. And Francis is saying, you know, this COP28 can be a moment for taking a step forward with some definite decisions, like the ones you've mentioned on transfer from fossil fuel, etc. And also there's the question of loss and damage. How do you compensate the poorer countries for the damage that has been caused to them and is being caused to them by the richer countries? So that's, that's a whole other big question. The Pope actually has a sort of a thesis statement in Laudate Deum for the kinds of change that he wants to see come out of COP28 specifically. He has this quote, if there is sincere interest in making COP28 a historic event that honors and ennobles us as human beings, then one can only hope for binding forms of energy transition that meet three conditions, that they be efficient, obligatory, and readily monitored. And he says this is in order to achieve the beginning of a new process marked by three requirements, that it be drastic, intense, and count on the commitment of all. So really strong words from the Pope that allow for, you know, maybe different plans to emerge, but he's he says he wants them to be efficient, obligatory, readily monitored, and lead to this bigger, intense, drastic, universal cultural change. I also really appreciated in this document that Pope Francis is honest about the fact that we need international groups like the United Nations to take actions that actually have teeth, but that also our national and local governments have responsibilities and that we as individuals, and he especially calls out Americans, need to change our lifestyles if we're going to avoid ecological disaster. He's saying, really, you need a change of culture. It's not technology is going to resolve it. It will resolve some problems, and it has, and it is doing, but it won't resolve the whole thing. And I, I was quite struck that he brings out especially how people in America are making a, quite a significant contribution to making the situation worse, and he's calling for a greater change in the way we live our lives. He said, if we consider that emissions per individual in the United States are about two times greater than those of individuals living in China, and about seven times greater than the average of the poorest countries. We can state that a broad change in the irresponsible lifestyle connected with the Western model would have a significant long-term impact. 
So he's calling on everybody to change the lifestyle. And then he concludes, as a result, along with indispensable political decisions, we will be making progress along the way to genuine care for one another. As the Pope says, we cannot resolve this alone. We have to work together. He's kept saying that, like during COVID, Colleen, remember? He said, you know, no one is saved alone. We're saved together, basically, when we're all rowing together. And that's not the situation in today's world. All right, Jerry, that seems like a good place for us to wrap. For our listeners, if you want to read Laudate Deum, which Jerry and I both highly recommend, I'll link to that in the show notes. And in the show notes, you can also find Jerry's interview with Judge Mohammed Abdel Salam and our coverage of Pope Francis's words and actions for peace in Israel and Palestine, which we talked about at the beginning of the show. Jerry, thank you for talking with me today. It's good to be with you again, even from afar. Well, thank you, Colleen. And I think our listeners will be hearing a lot more about COP28, the climate change in the coming episodes, because in three weeks' time, the Pope will be there in the United Arab Emirates pleading to save planet Earth and our common home for future generations. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Delaney Coyne and Robert Balliser. Kevin Christopher Robles is our audio engineer. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. The show is recorded in part at the studio inside the Jesuits' international headquarters in Rome. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on X and Instagram at Colleen Dully. That's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E. And you can follow Jerry on X at Jerry O'Rome. That's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's easy to do, and it is the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For American Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.